Thank you, Geraldine. Let's start with a confession and then disclaimer. Sorry to the band, there was a song in there, I completely missed it. And I'm sure you'd rehearsed it perfectly. I know, George, sorry. A disclaimer is that um, one of the uh, committee, when I started in chaplaincy at Daravolgi, we had a, quite a wide-ranging committee because I was um, Board of Education, Board of Social Witness. They needed two boards of the church to contain me. And one of those who was on it was an esteemed gentleman, and he said to me, so you're Sam Stockman's son, that pessimistic, pessimistic loudmouth from Balamina. That was my dad, not me, he was talking about. But after this sermon, you might see some of the genes coming through. I want to pray before we start. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray you would take these skeletons and bare bones of my thoughts on new beginnings and that you would put upon them the flesh and the muscle of your Holy Spirit, that they might somehow come alive in all of our lives and dance and move and weave into something that you can use to speak to us, inspire us, and lead us into the days ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, the pessimistic loudmouth from Balamina was very, very unsure about wishing anybody a happy new year. Happy new year. It's on everything. It's all over everything. In fact, if you're looking for a photograph for your blog about the new year, it's very difficult to get one that's not happy. And happy's good. And we are a community that has celebrated much happiness. We baptized little babies and we're always thrilled to hear that they're on their way or they've arrived or that we're baptizing them or we'll baptize them at a later stage. We're always happy at weddings and we had one of those just at the end of last year and it was beautiful and wonderful and happy. Gladys ran her best time. She's getting older but faster. Go figure. And I'm happy about that. And of course, I did get to that moment out on Lisburn, out in Lisburn Golf Club where all four domestic English trophies were sitting on a table that said Manchester City. Happy. Maybe that five iron you hit to three feet. Or maybe that slope on the ski slopes that just was fast enough. Not too fast, but not too slow and you just felt all the lessons had worked. Maybe out in some canoe somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Or maybe on a playground in Uganda. Or maybe we can go back through last year and there's lots of happy things and there will be lots of happy things and we should celebrate the happy things. I will. But you know, as a pastor, I thought about that and I thought, don't have to train you much to think about the happy things. Aguero scores. Nobody has to have given me discipleship lessons about what I do. I jump up and down and think of Stanley McMullen, who's a United fan, and think, yo, you don't, I'm seeing, I'm seeing all the United fans now, and you don't need to be told how to be happy in some ways. But life and the new year will bring with it things that are not so happy. That's why it's difficult to say Happy New Year. It's as if 
everything in 2020 will be happy. And we know it won't be. And we've known that through 2019 as a community. Albert and Stanley were pillars of our community for decades. And those were tough times and continue to be for the families and for us as a community. We have been through prayer in theater with many, many people who have gone through incredibly difficult operations over this past year. Even as New Year, as last year ended and we were waiting for New Year to come in, there was our texting prayer groups and can I thank you for those texting WhatsApp prayer groups. There is somewhere where Fitzroy in the last few weeks have used modern technology in the most blessed way. I think actually inspired by the king of all tackiness, not tackiness, all tack, George Mullen. Could you imagine that George would lead us down roads of new technology? But we've been there for people when they needed them. Whether that's Tom and Sue's daughter and little granddaughter born prematurely these last few days and the difficulties they've been having. Or whether that was supporting the Stockman family as our little friend Lucia has been in theater it seems most of the end the last two days of last year getting her fourth new liver. These have been moments when Fitzroy have gathered around others as we do so many times. Around times of difficulty and darkness and heartache. And so it was probably in the midst of Lucia and the struggles she'd been having and still has. She's stable this morning and her father thanks you for the kindness. He talks about your kindness as food for the soul. And I haven't heard from uh, Tom and Sue this morning, but last night um, there was chinks of light. Still difficult times for those families. And as the year turned, I found it difficult as a pastor to use the word happy. So I tried to find some other way of putting it. How do you wish someone a new year? Because even blessed has been a wee bit caught up in a sort of a spiritual happiness. I know that's not what it was meant to be, but it can be a little bit like that. What does that blessedness that the scriptures talk about mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. Of course, J.B. Phillips changed that to happy and sent us all askew. But what does it mean? And what can we wish for each other for the new year that will be robust enough to be with us in times of joy and excitement, but also be with us in times of great fear and anxiety and worry and heartache? And even as I prayed in the offering prayer to be with us in the times of ordinariness. Well, it might be what a friend of mine calls a handbrake turn in thought for the day many mornings when we move from something like that into Scripture, but I hope it's not because today's lectionary reading, which I've come back to after that series and being with and through Advent, 
is John chapter 1. Not all of what Geraldine read for us. In fact, it's verses 10 to 18 that are the particular pericope for this particular week. But it says you can add the first uh, number of verses, and I've done that. What could we find in this reading of the lectionary that might help us to understand what we can wish people for the year ahead? Well, it's an amazing, 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 amazing passage. It is just an incredible piece of literature if we would stop and take away the familiarity. One commentator has said, the following verses present the nature and rule of the logos, the word, as the vehicle for creation, who is the giver of life and stands fast in the darkness, lighting the way for humankind. The vehicle for creation, the giver of life, stands fast in the darkness, lighting the way for humankind. I'd like to wish us that for the new year and the new decade. What John does here is, in just a short number of verses that Geraldine read, it's just what goes off is incredible. There's the whole cosmos is within our reach for a moment or two because God makes the whole thing, everything in the beginning. The Word speaks and we're brought back to the other beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And we find that everything is made by this Word. That God is the creator and sustainer of the cosmos. We're thinking in the very widest perspective and my eyes are closed and I'm thinking of all those stars away out there and the earth as we have it here and the vastness of it. That's in these verses. The vastness of everything and God at the center of it. And in the midst of this vastness, geographically or whatever way we want to talk about it, we find that there's something going on, a battle going on. The darkness has not overcome it. There's light and there's dark. I guess we could lazily define that as happiness and sadness, blessing, curse. But darkness and light would do, would it not? And then everything that's huge suddenly focuses on one human being, a guy called John. But John's not what the focus is going to be on. He's there to just guide us towards where the focus will be. That the word that created the universe will become flesh, one of us, and move in among us to be with us. That vastness is drawn down to that little baby in straw behind me. But I don't want to think about the straw this morning or the manger rather because for some reason after 10 years, 11 Christmases actually, I've got completely blinded by the red shoe of one of the wise men and it's thrown me absolutely this morning. But the vastness turns into this little baby, the word made flesh, and then, oh, maybe 14 verses in, we have seen, we become involved. This is a cosmic story. And suddenly, us 
little humans get to be part of it because we have seen the one who comes in grace and truth. And if we believe and go back a few verses into the cosmic rush, we can find that if we believe, we can become children of this God. This is an incredible story. It's a magnificent tale told in 18 verses that is a prologue to what John would then tell us about the life of Jesus. But what does it tell us? It tells us that there is something we can say going into the new year, and it is back to that series that we had in the autumn time. Being with. Now, of all the two words or that I could put together and send out to you. I didn't put them together, but I sent them out to you. That is stuck. It seems that those are the words. Being with Emmanuel, God with us. That that's what we can wish for the new year. It's a little bit ancient and it can come across as a wee bit pious to be truthful. And I'm not completely happy with it in that context to say, Emmanuel, new year to you. But I want to say it to you and all of us theologically. I long that we would have an Emmanuel New Year. A God with us New Year. And that as I prayed in that prayer of the offering, that we would look for that God with us, whatever is going on, in the very ordinary. And that might be what you're dreading most tomorrow morning. Nine o'clock, cha-ching, and you go, you sit at your desk, you go through that motion, you have your lunch there, same chair, you come out, you have five o'clock. You, there's that wonderful bit in Reginald Perrin, The Fallen Rise Of, where he gets up in the morning and he puts on the clothes. I think he talks us through this, at least if he didn't, I did in my old coffee bar days. You get up, you take off the pajamas you put on the night before, you put on the clothes you took off the night before, and you go down the stairs that you came up the night before, and you go out the door you came in the afternoon before, and you go down the road that you came up the afternoon before, and you get into the office that you left the day before, and you sit down at the desk that you left the day before, and you're still there, and then at five o'clock you leave the desk that you went to that morning, you go down the street you came up that morning, and then you go down the door that you came out of that morning, you go up the stairs you come down that morning, you take off the clothes you put on that morning, you put the pajamas you put on, and it's just routine at times. It's ordinary. And I'm asking us this year, could we find God even in that routine? Ordinariness. And then make sure that we don't lose him in the euphoria times. We don't, you know, you go into the exam, you remember this, some of you still do, bless you's but we remember it. You go into the exam and you turn the page and you just go, time for prayer. Do you know? But when the results come out in the quad at Queen's and you went in there and you got a first, well, I don't know what that feels like, but when some of you got a first, you didn't go, time for prayer. You started to jump up and down. Even I, who didn't get a first, jumped up and down eventually. And we went and we told our friends and our parents and we celebrate it and God's not as necessary in the happiness as he seems to be in the sad. Emmanuel New Year, that we would find Emmanuel in those good moments, 
that we would stop in those good moments, maybe thankfully, but also listening for what we might learn in the blessed times. And then in the difficult times, the God of our salvation, the Lord is our shepherd. Do not be afraid. Trust in God. That's a wish I have for all of us because none of us know what some of those things are. And some of us are going through what some of those things are right now. And we long that you would know the being with. The Emmanuel God with us through it and also maybe the text or the phone call or the prayer. So just to tie it up from there, I want to leave you with one other thought. Before Lucia went to London for her um, transplant, she was in the Royal for a week or two, and at one stage in the Royal, they were able to go out and see a movie. And so they went and they saw Frozen 2. And I was having a conversation with David about Frozen 2. And David, um, you, they need to come to Fitzroy at some stage when Lucia, please God, comes back and um, maybe wins a few medals at some transplant games or, or other. But uh, David, David, he might have the same DNA as I am, let's say. If you want to know the realistic um, situation going on, Rachel's all very half full and David's all pretty realistic. And Frozen 2 is not where I would put David for an afternoon at the movies. So we were talking about it and I was thinking already at that stage, I hadn't come up with a cunning plan to give it to Paul Lutton at that point and thought I would do it myself. I said, is there anything in there for a Christmas Day service? And he said, you know, Steve, I was struggling with that. And then there definitely are moments. And he shared this moment. And it's actually too good to share with children, I think, because I'm not sure they might get it the way we might need to get it. Um, Olaf apparently, now there's spoilers here. But that's all right. I haven't seen it either. There you go. Um, this is the second thing that I've built sermon series on that I haven't seen yet. So uh, bear with me. Um, after Olaf melts away in Anna's uh, arms, she curls up in a cave, and presuming that's Anna, and almost succumbs to the grief and sadness she feels over the apparent deaths of Olaf and Elsa. In the darkest moment of the movie, she searches for the strength to overcome her despair which is especially difficult. For almost everything she did in her life was for the sake of her sister Elsa, and with her absence, it seems like nothing can be good again. But as shown in the song, one more thing I think, the, the next right thing is the name of the song. As shown in the song by relying on the former words of Pabel, the troll, to do the next right thing Anna gathers enough willpower to make her way out of the cave and save her sister. What gives her the willpower to do some sort of recovery from the darkness or get out of the darkness? It's hearing a voice in her ear that says to do the next right thing. 
David was sharing this with me because this was a moment in the movie in the darkness of where they were with Lucia's liver at that point, knowing there was a transplant coming down the road. In the dark space that they were, this was something that spoke to David. And he told me a story about a time when he was much younger when he'd had a particular heartache. And he was on his way home in a very dark space in his car and he drove past someone who'd broken down. And he stopped to help the person that had broken down. And he got back into the car in a little bit of a better state than he was when he'd gone to help the person. I think it's wonderful advice that if I had time and hadn't been on holiday all week, I could have got all the illustrations out of the Bible for this. That in our darkest moments, all we can do is the next right thing. Because in doing the next right thing, we find ourselves not only being with God, but doing for God. Stopping, side of the road, with someone who needed help, was that servant heart, that reaching out to help somebody the way God reaches out to us the way Jesus reached out through his ministry, the way he washed his disciples' feet. In doing the right move, in doing something for others, we find ourselves, what I'm going to get back to, which I think is the best words for the Beatitudes, at least nowadays. I'm sure blessed worked perfectly well in the context of when it was written. But Daryl Johnson in Regent Vancouver, and I've said this a few times before, and I think he gets absolutely right. He translates it in sync. We're in sync when we're poor. We're in sync when we're meek. We're in sync when we're peacemakers. We're in sync with God in those moments. And when we're in sync with God, whether it's in a dark place or a bright place, that's where the real spiritual blessing, life in all its fullness, is. We can actually find light in the dark. We can actually find hope in the despair. We can actually find God with us saying follow me to do the next right thing the grief the song goes the grief has a gravity it pulls me down but a tiny voice whispers in my mind you are lost hope is gone you must go on and do the next right thing a voice in our ear follow me Do what I do. Be in sync. Do the next right thing. Emmanuel New Year. In sync New Year. God with you whatever the new year throws. Let's pray. Lord, again, we open ourselves to you. Maybe offer ourselves afresh. 
the start of a new year. Maybe consider Paul's whiteboard. Brand new start. Clean slate. Options of committing to passionately following Jesus, to the compassion of helping others, to the hope and the light and the grace and the love you want to bring into our lives that we might share out with others. Lord, we offer ourselves anew to the word who was made flesh and lived for a time among us, to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, we pray that whatever the joys and the heartaches of the next year are, that you will be with us in the midst and that we will find you there whispering to us to make the next right move. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.